0: You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. What a delight it is to be in the presence of the Lord together. I invite you to take a seat. My my name's Keith. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at the church. Uh, Thank you, worship team, for for leading us. opening our eyes to the reality that Jesus sits on the throne of the universe (laughs) and he holds all things together all things were created for him and by him and in him all things Hold together we enter that story as we sing Uh, I've been away on holidays That's maybe why you haven't seen me over the last little while and and you know what? I love being one of your pastors, but I also love going on holidays Uh, And so I think that that's fair to say Uh, you over the last little bit uh, my family. I spent some time at home Then we did a week at Green Bay Bible camp. We did the family camp together Which was a beautiful experience a great way to invest in our lives with the Lord together And so we did that and then after Green Bay Bible camp uh, my family. We went to Vancouver uh, And they spent all my money on food and uh, and back to school clothes, uh, and so we're recovering from that. But uh, hey, uh, as I begin, let me give my sincere and uh, really heartfelt thank you to all of the people who were part of Kids Day Camp this past week. It was beautiful. Uh, Particularly, as Chris said, to Suzanne uh, and Chris and Gemma, uh, a real thank you, but, but to, to, to the church, right, to the people of God who are investing in the lives of our young people. Uh, uh, the Kids Day Camp is a significant uh, event in the life of our church where our young people, they go home that week singing praises to Jesus in a way they don't the other weeks of the year. It's significant. And I thank you for for leaning in. Uh, We continue on in our summer series called Reason to Sing. Uh, That's what we've been doing over the summer because as Jesus' people, because of Jesus, we have many reasons to sing. And this morning, I want to share with you one more of the personal reasons that I have to sing. And it comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 16. It's uh, perhaps a familiar passage to you. And so I invite you to turn there with me uh, this morning. uh, If you have your your Bible in the pew in front of you or your device, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16. And so I invite you to turn there with me. And if you're kind of new to to the Bible, it's a a little closer to the back than to the front. Uh, You can find it there, Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 16. And as you turn there, I invite you not simply to to tune your ear to the words of Jesus, but to tune your heart to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he said, "You are the light. You are the salt of the earth." (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we, we have participated in being your church. We've heard the story of, of Kai and how you have come to life in him, and we've celebrated that. We've, we've entered in through worship in our hearts to, to lift up your name as we have this vision of who you are and where you're taking us. And Jesus, we pray as your word is preached, these are your words, Jesus, we pray that we would hear them as your disciples, and you would build us to be the church in every sense of the word. So lead us, Holy Spirit, this morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So first let me give a little bit of context. This, uh, what I've read from, is Jesus' most well-known sermon. Now, even people who are unfamiliar with church probably know something about this particular sermon. In fact, uh, maybe they've quoted it to you because in it we get a number of common phrases that, that we hear in our world, like going the extra mile, right? That, that wasn't just an advertisement for, for a tire company, going the extra mile. This is Jesus' words. Or how about turn the other cheek? It's in the sermon. And there's others like the salt of the earth, which we heard already this morning. And and my all-time favorite, and this often comes from some of my dear non-Christian friends, do not judge. <laughs> right? These are Jesus' words. And this is his most famous sermon. And in this sermon, we need to get this. Jesus is describing the shape of God's kingdom. The shape that his kingdom takes when it is manifest in the lives of everyday ordinary people. People like me. People like you. Like us. The sermon is a picture of what the life of heaven lived upon the earth actually looks like. It's a description of the kind of life that unfolds when a person says yes to Jesus as their Lord, as their leader. This is what we're reading here. Verses, uh, verse 1 and 2, it tells us, look, it says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. Now, we're given a detail here in the text that, that Jesus sits down because this was, this was typically what a rabbi would do when they were about to teach something really important, right? In our context, you know, the pastor stands up, <laughs> But a good Jewish rabbi in the first century would sit down to, cheat, to teach. And Jesus is sitting down to teach the people there that day something significant. And so Jesus sits down. We, we, we read on. Now, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and verse 2, were told, and he began to teach them. He began to teach. Now, what I want us to notice here that it isn't simply the disciples who were there that day that Jesus was teaching. Verse 1 at the very beginning tells us about the crowds. that There were a crowd of people there that day that Jesus saw as he sat down to teach. Crowds of regular Joes, or, or Josephs, I guess, probably in that context, right? Regular Joes and Johanna's who who had been following after Jesus. You know, crowds formed wherever Jesus went. You're you're likely familiar about that. I mean, even if we go one page back to to Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus going all throughout Galilee. And he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God that has has come to the earth. He's he's preaching the gospel. In effect, Jesus is pointing to himself and saying, look, in me God is about to do something the world has never seen before he's bringing the life of heaven to bear on the earth i've come as your savior and as a sign of that as he goes about uh uh, galilee preaching and proclaiming the good news he's healing people as this this sign and and foretaste of the life of heaven that is yet to come that that's that's here (laughs) but we await its fullness And so, crowds would form wherever Jesus went because it was like heaven had come to town. He was like a magnet a magnet for the needy and a magnet for the curious. But what I want us to notice at the outset here is that there are two different sets of ears that are there that day there are the crowds and there are the disciples. And now, in some ways, these two different sets of ears are exactly the same, of course, because both the crowds and the disciples are are needy. They have their need for Jesus. And and both these sets of ears, they're, they're curious. I mean, Jesus is doing things no one else has ever done in the history of the world. And so, in some ways, the two sets of ears are the same, but there's a difference between them as well. You see, the crowds were there because of their their need and their curiosity, but the disciples were there because they were following Jesus, right? The crowds had gathered because Jesus was conveniently passing through their town, and so their need and curiosity brought them, but for the disciples, their need and their curiosity led them to follow Jesus every step that he took on his journey. There's a difference between the crowd that heard that day and the disciples that heard that day, because some were there because they were following Jesus, and it makes me wonder, how do you hear Jesus' sermon today? I wonder, do you hear his words as one of the curious and needy of the crowd or the curious and needy disciples? Because the way you hear Jesus' words will affect what they do in your life. But Jesus has something for every one of us. And I think of Kai who, who stepped into these waters this morning. Right? And it's not that Kai was one of the crowd before, <laughs> but this marked a significant uh, part of his journey of following Jesus as a disciple it means something in his life and so the text says is jesus's disciples verse 1 and 2 again jesus's disciples they came to him and he began to teach them and this is what he said in verse 3 he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and he goes on blessed are, th- are, are, are those who mourn and blessed are the meek blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, even blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most well-known, uh, and it's often called the Beatitudes, which is a really weird word because really, what, what is a Beatitude? <laughs> well, they're called the Beatitudes because Beatitude comes from the Latin word for blessed, and blessed is said many times in this passage. Uh, and so, Beatitudes, and, and really, essentially, what we're reading with these Beatitudes, with each Beatitude, Jesus is painting a picture of God's kingdom taking shape on the earth. Right? It's a description of what happens when people say yes to Jesus with their whole lives. And now, I'm going to come back to this passage of Scripture at the end of the message because I really want to focus what co- in on what comes next in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because after painting this picture of, of these beatitude people, these people who embody the life of heaven on earth, Jesus then, he looks around at the crowd in front of him, or, or the people in front of him, and he says something profound. He says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. verses 13 and 14, you are the salt and you are the light. Now, here's an interesting tidbit for you that helps us understand what's going on. In Jesus' day, there was this this rabbinical saying uh, that, that one of the famous rabbis had said, and it was repeated over and over, and the saying goes like this. It went, the world cannot endure without salt. The world can't endure without salt. This saying would have been known to the people in the crowd that day. And then Jesus looks at them, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. What's going on? (laughs) But there's more. The Romans also had their saying, and it went like this. It went, There is nothing more useful than sun and salt. Sun and salt. I mean, Jesus is picking up this metaphor, right? Light and salt and salt. It's the very two things that Jesus points to. There is nothing more useful than sun and salt. The people would have known this saying. And so it's like Jesus is looking into the eyes of these ordinary, curious, needy people who are standing before him, and he says to them, you're the salt, and you're the light. And you know how the saying goes. There is nothing more useful and necessary in our world than salt and light. <laughs> and that's who you are. And this is remarkable. Jesus is saying to all who would follow after him that you and your life are necessary to God's redemptive purposes in the world. And some of you might be here today and, 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 and maybe you haven't quite... Maybe you're waiting for something to happen in your life, right? W- waiting to figure out your life. I mean, September often is a time when we sort of... Oh, i got to figure out my life because, man, this is, this is taking off here. You might be waiting on something new and something exciting to come your way, whether it's a new career or a new job or a new passion that you haven't quite figured out yet. You're waiting for that important thing that's over the horizon... It's going to give your life a greater purpose and a greater meaning. We've been in places like that. But but I want you to hear Jesus speaking directly to you this morning. As you follow him, you and your life are the salt and the light that the people around you need. You see, the world can do without a lot of things. But the one thing that this world cannot do without is peoples whose lives are being transformed by Jesus and his gospel, right? The world can do without a great many things, but it cannot do without people who carry the hope and the love of Jesus in our world. The world can't sustain itself without people bearing witness to Jesus and his gospel because he's the Savior, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. What a message. <laughs> now, salt and light, uh, let's dig in a bit here. They are metaphors, really. Jesus is using them as metaphors for, for God's redemptive work in, at work in our world. Right? So first, let's consider salt. Salt in, in Jesus' day, as you might know, was primarily used differently than we use it today. Right? It was used as a preservative for food. Right? They didn't, you couldn't call Vance refrigeration in Jesus' day. There was no Bob Vance of Vance refrigeration in, in Jesus' day for you office fans out there. They used salt. Salt was rubbed into the fibers of the meat in order to preserve it, to keep it from spoiling. And so behind Jesus' words here is the reality that there is a way that we can live in this world that actually results in spoil and decay, and destruction. Right? There's a way we can live in this world that degrades God's goodness. It's, it's true, we've all experienced it. In fact, isn't this the tendency of all human individuals? Really, if, if left just to live for ourselves, that life doesn't end very well, does it? It becomes self centered, it's all about us, and others are heard. There's a way in which we can live that, 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 that it tends to spoil, to, de- to decay, degrade God's goodness. It, let's just think about greed for a moment. Greed, the desire to want for myself, to keep for myself. Gr- greed rots the individual soul. But not only that, it spoils all kinds of relationships. Right? For instance, greed can, can cause us to, to value money over people. And when we make decisions, we, we can make decisions that, 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 that get money for ourselves at the expense of other people. We see this all over the place. We see it in governments. We see it in businesses. We see it in policies in our world. But we also see it in our own families. It happens in our own hearts if we're willing to look far enough into them. You know, if we give in to greed long enough, we, we come to think that, that, that what I have determines my worth in this world. <laughs> It degrades our hearts. But greed can also lead a company to exploit its workers. Some of you are, are business owners, and greed can, can lead to the exploitation of workers, or it can even break down our relationship with, with the earth. For greed can, can, can lead to the exploitation of the natural resources in our world because we want a profit. And the point is, greed, if left unchecked, it decays the image of God in us and it spoils relationship. Relationship with God, relationship in ourselves, relationship with others and with the earth that God has entrusted to us. It rots human flourishing. And so do many other ways of living, like selfishness or gossip or unforgiveness or sexual immorality. And the list goes on and on and on. The truth of the matter is God has designed his world to flourish. He wants us to flourish. And that flourishing comes only when we live by his design, when, when we follow the way of Jesus. He shows us how to flourish as human beings. So, so when Jesus calls us To be the salt of the earth he is speaking about living in such a way that preserves and promotes human flourishing not simply for ourselves that we might flourish but for all people that the world that god made that was good that it would flourish we can't miss this jesus looks out upon his church and he gives us our christian vocation in this passage he says you church all of you disciples of Jesus who are saying yes to Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. You are called to order your lives in such a way that preserves and promotes human flourishing. Because that's what God has designed us to do. Which is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 13 that you are the light of the world. The light, I, I believe, here comes from the salt. Because people living as salt, that is the light the world needs to see. Think about light for a moment. Light is by very nature something that reveals what cannot be seen otherwise. Light reveals what cannot be seen. And so consider the question. How do you think the unseen God makes himself seen? In the world how is the invisible God made visible well the answer that the Bible tells us over and over again is he does it through his church yes he's made himself visible in Christ of course (laughs) the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us but now through his spirit the invisible God is made visible through his church through his people who are empowered by his Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he is saying, you are the light that opens the world's eyes to God and his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. It's what he means. My pastor growing up has has written a, a, a few books, and in one of them he has said this. He said, God has set things up in such a way that if anyone asks, what is Jesus like? Who is this Jesus? Is he loving? Is he good? Is he just? Is he generous? Does he comfort the oppressed? Will he confront the oppressor? All they will have to do is look at the church to get the answer. This is what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Living as salt reveals the light of God. And this is how God intends to spread the hope of the gospel to to your friends. This is how Jesus intends to to spread spread the hope of his his kingdom coming on earth to, to the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people in your neighborhood, right? Jesus... In our our time in history, Jesus isn't intending to to return to go up a mountainside so the crowds in your neighborhood can sit or, or he would sit before them and he teaches them from his very words. That's not the space of history we're in. He's empowered his church. He's given us the living word of God, the spirit to live in us, to live the redemptive life of God here on earth so that all would know that Jesus has come to save a world he loves. He's empowering us to share the gospel in word and deed. And so, church, there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. And if we have ears to hear what Jesus is saying today, we we should invite him to search our hearts and let him ask a really pointed question Have we lost our saltiness? Are we hiding our light? Because salt without saltiness and light that is hidden, we're told, is of very little use. But let's narrow in on the emphasized words in the text. Verses 13 and 14, I've said them over and over again. They're emphasized in the text. They're put up front. They're given emphasis, and it's the word you. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. The you has a lot to teach us about how we can follow Jesus today. So I want to simply ask, who are the you that Jesus is referring to? Right? If he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light, we should ask, who is the you, Jesus? Well, the you he is referring to here are the beatitude people, the people that Jesus describes in the verses preceding. So if you still have your text, I invite you to look back at that. Before he says, you are the light of the world, in verse 14, the you he's referring to are all the people described in verses 3 to 10, the beatitude people. This is In in effect, as we read the Beatitudes, we're reading a list, a description of what it looks like to be salt and light in the world. In some ways, this becomes the application of the sermon. What does it look like to give our yes to Jesus? What do salt and light people look like? Well, first, salt and light people are poor in spirit. Salt and light people are people who are poor in spirit, which means they understand they have a great need for God. Salt and light people are poor in spirit, which means that that they know that they are sinful and they can't do it on their own. (laughs) Salt and light people are people who know they're poor in spirit, which means that they never fully live up to to the other beatitudes that follow (laughs) As we enter in the requirement of being God's salt and light people, this this first beatitude is the key to everything that comes next, that the requirement to be salt and light people means that we are poor in spirit and we say, Jesus, I'm not the light. I'm not the salt. But you are, God. And as we give our yes to Jesus, that's being poor in spirit, saying, Jesus, I need you to transform me to be something that I'm not. And so what does it look like to be salt and light in the world? It really all depends on the first beatitude. Salt and light people are poor in spirit. They know their need for God. They know they're sinful. And they know that only good comes from God. But then it goes on and it says, Salt and light people, they are uh, those who mourn. They mourn the loss of God's goodness in the world. They mourn the fact that we live in a broken world. And sometimes that brokenness is in ourselves. So salt and light people, they mourn over their own brokenness. And they confess. They're people of confession and repentance. They're people who are quick to say sorry. It's being salt and light. But sometimes salt and light people, they mourn over the darkness or the brokenness that we see in our world. And we move into places where people need to know the light of Christ. Salt and light people aren't afraid to get their hands dirty with the broken people of this world because they need to know the light. They mourn over the loss of God's goodness and they find themselves with people. It goes on. Jesus says, Blessed are those salt and light people who are meek, and I think that this is what, what, what Brennan was trying to articulate with Kai, that there is a strength that Kai has that you might not see as this kind of strength. Well, maybe not this one. If maybe if Gary Sheik was up here doing this, that kind of strength, right? Meek is not weak. Meek are the people who, who know Jesus in a way where they don't need to be the loudest voice in the room because they know they belong because Jesus loves them. There's a strength in that. The meek are those who don't always have to be heard in a crowd because they know their position is secure with God. They're people who who, who trust themselves to God. They entrust their lives to God, and and they live with this quiet confidence that blesses others. They're released from having to to be someone who, who is the most important in the room so that they're freed to serve others in the room. Blessed are the meek. This is my favorite beatitude. Because of what it says next, it says that they will inherit the earth. And what I take that to mean is that they are the ones who are fit to rule in our world, (laughs) the meek, because they have the strength to depend on God and not the praise of others beautiful salt and light people it goes on it says that salt and light people are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who hunger and thirst for right relationships with other people they're the ones who care for issues of justice they're the ones who are quick to engage conflict so that so that the Lord can bring reconciliation and relationship it goes on says salt and light people are the merciful they have received the mercy of god and so they share it with others salt and light people are those who are pure in heart they honor holiness and act with integrity they say see goodness the goodness of god and others salt and light people are peacemakers they enter conflict armed with the love of christ in the pursuit of the shalom of god and salt and light people they're willing to take a hit from the opposition without returning the strike. When Jesus says, you are the salt and you are the light, this is the you that Jesus is speaking about. And the most important thing, churches, for us to understand is that the that salt and light isn't something that we simply turn on with our own effort. It comes from the first beatitude. When we say yes to Jesus, We need you. He does something in our lives to transform us into something that resembles the church he intends all along. A community of hope. Hope for the world that says, you know what? We're not perfect, but Jesus is doing something to perfect us. And we're not always good, but Jesus is doing something to lead us into goodness. And we're not always whole but jesus is making us whole and so the light we shine into the world it doesn't originate in us it's the light of god that we've received through christ right and the great illustration is the moon right we all know that the moon has no light in and of itself none you could never see the moon you would never see the moon if it wasn't for the sun for any light that comes. From the Moon is from the sun, so it is like us, His disciples. Any light the world sees from us, the Moon, comes from the Son of God, who has shined His light upon us and made us what we were not before. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. And so church. this brings me to the last thought that I have. <laughs> the sermon series is about the reason to sing. And so why is one reason I sing? Well, it's because of you. Men and women who want to be salt and light in the world. To see a local church that comes together, I mean, we're different, (laughs) right? We wouldn't normally all get in the same room together, but we're doing it because Jesus has done something in our life and we want to be part of that bigger thing in the world. And so one of the reasons I sing is when the local church, men and women, come together in the name of Christ to be transformed by his love so that we can bless the world outside these walls. You're the reason I sing. And so church, let us not grow weary in doing good. God poured out his goodness upon us in sending Jesus to rescue us from sin and death. May we also pour ourselves out to make his good goodness known to the people around us. Let's pray. Jesus, <laughs> you are the salt that the world needs. And you are the light that we so desperately long for. And so, as I think about some of the scriptures in Isaiah 60 comes to mind that that says that that our light has risen. (laughs) Just, Jesus, as you have rose from the dead. And that light shines upon your people. We pray, Jesus, that as you shine your light upon us, that we would come to life, that we we would be risen to life in the things that have gone dead in us, the things that have gone dark in us, where we have lost our saltiness. We pray, Jesus, that you would make us whole again. We don't want to be part of the crowd. We want to be disciples. And you say, you call to us and say, to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and, and when I ask that question, where, where have you lost your saltiness? Where, where are you hiding your light? Maybe you felt the spirit of God stirring in you. Jesus wants you to leave that here because it's not the destiny he's spoken over your life. He said, you are my salt of the earth and you are my light in the world. And it'll take you receiving the light of Christ to raise you to new life. And so Spirit of God, all of us, we come to you and we say we're poor in spirit. Make the salt salty. Make the light shine to the people that we meet beyond these walls for your glory.